Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Marvin Zuckerman. Marvin was born in 1932 in the Bronx, New York City. His parents were Yiddish-speaking garment workers, members of the Jewish Labor Bund from Warsaw, Poland. After moving to Los Angeles in the 50s, he became a professor of English and Yiddish at Los Angeles Valley College, where he chaired the English department for 15 years and was dean of instruction for six years. He also founded the Cortland Literary Agency, and he's the author of numerous books and articles. Most recently, he translated 20 Years, the Jewish Labor Bund, a memoir of interwar Poland by Bund militia leader Bernard Goldstein. Welcome, Marvin. Thank you, Lisa. Nice to be here. Well, I've been really looking forward to having a chance to speak with you. I know we've recently been in touch. You had submitted a translation for the upcoming issue of Trigger, which is the Center's English language magazine. And we will, we're happily including a chapter uh, from the book, uh, Fat Yossel is the name of the chapter, um, as a bilingual translation in the upcoming issue. And so before we talk about that, I wanted to ask you about your Yiddish roots. Oh, okay. Well, uh, let's see. Um, I My parents spoke only Yiddish uh, at home and practically everywhere else. And I grew up in a neighborhood where there was a lot of Yiddish up in the Bronx, the Amalgamated Clothing Workers Union Cooperative Housing Development. Uh, there were Yiddish writers, actually. Time Kader was my next-door neighbor. No way. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, he was uh, in apartment um, A63, and I was A41, two floors below. <laughs> uh, before Chaim Grada moved into that apartment, a Yiddish writer by the name of Krepiak, uh lived there. He used to give us stamps to the kids in, in the neighborhood. We'd come up there, and he'd show us all these stamps. Anyhow, and then Naftali Gross, another Yiddish writer, lived a block away. And Avram Reisen lived five, four blocks away in the Shalom Aleichem houses. Uh, so, yeah, so Yiddish was the language at home, and my relatives and friends who came, of my parents who came over with, it was all Yiddish. And then, of course, I attended the Workman Circle schools, which were, you know, folk schools that were for an hour, uh, five days a week, an hour uh, each time after school. There after school, and um, and I, I happened to be in a wonderful uh, group of kids, many of whom were uh, refugees from uh, the war, from uh, Bundes, children of, of leading Bundes. For example, Sholem Hess, the historian uh, of the Bund, his son was in our class. Victor Galinsky, the son of the director of the Medan Sanatorium, was in our class. And also the teachers were remarkable because, as contrasted, for example, to the teachers in our public you know, school, the regular school, uh, these people were intellectuals and writers. They were uh, amazing uh, teachers. So anyway, there, of course, I learned to read and write. We taught us folk songs uh, and uh, we learned, we read Yiddish literature, and so on. Yeah. So you were really surrounded by Yiddishists in all manner of speaking. Yes, it's true. And when, so I do have to ask the question, following up on all of the famous writers that surrounded you. Um, yes. It, did that influence you in, in any way? Were you aware that 
they had been part of this neighborhood? Yes, I knew who they were, and quite aware of everything. My parents were heavily involved in the labor movement, in the Bund, and in Yiddish. They were sort of Yiddishists. And um, so I was somehow told uh, all the time, uh, I was told the political, everybody in our neighborhood was politicized in some way or other. They were either um, Bundist, communist, labor Zionist, anarchist. And so we all, the children, we grew up knowing about all this stuff and uh, arguing about it. And, um, and, and, and yes, I knew who all these people were, uh, as the writers. And, uh, for example, I was taking German in uh, high school, and there was a charming little fable in German. And I thought, I'm going to translate this into Yiddish. And I did, and I took it to Naftali Gross, who lived a block away. And he used to have a column in the Yiddish Forum uh, about once a week where he would have stuff like that. So I gave it to him. He was pleased and happy that I gave it to him. Uh, and, and I was uh, hoping he, uh, he would, they would run it in the forward. Mm, a few weeks later, he came back to me and he said, listen, the, the editors at the forward say that folktale was written by Hans Sack, a known German anti-Semite from, you know, the 1800s or something. <laughs> so they wouldn't, they weren't going to run it. Anyway, yeah, so this, and then I, I remember sitting on the bus next to Abraham and uh, he would come to a neighbor. Maybe they'd invite him to give a talk, and I saw him there. And He had this long hair in the back. He was amazing. He was, he was a very uh, sweet, humble man. I remember one time I went to a big, sort of a mass meeting, and... Um, he, they were honoring him, and he was up on the stage with a bunch of other intellectuals and so on. And uh, at one point, he turned, he was talking to the audience, and at one point he turned around, he turned his back to the audience and talked to the people on the stage. It was so characteristic of his uh, modesty uh, and uh, humility, you know, he just didn't pay any attention the fact that all these people were there and he was talking to them. Uh, he was a sweet, wonderful man. Uh, and I remember him well. And of course, the, 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 the uh, work and circle school that we attended would invite the writers and the Bundes to, to, to speak. So um, that's, uh, that's, that's about that. So how do you think all of that informed or influenced or sort of pushed you in the direction that you've pursued with your career? Well, it was very much a part of my uh, life and my being and my uh, who I was. Uh, for a while, I mean, after I left home, I went out into the world, I went to college, I sort of uh, went you know, became sort of acculturated, you might say. And I studied English literature and American literature. Uh, of course, I was a great reader before I went to college, and I read a lot of that stuff already. But um, anyway, I, 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 I was trying to, uh, I sort of uh, 
became, you might say, part of the larger world. Uh, but then uh, after I got, you know, with a career and a family and everything, uh, then I went back to my roots, you might say, and uh, had this rich heritage. And uh, I thought, you know, why why should I be interested in Byron instead of Of course, he wasn't a Catholic anymore, but 
he was originally born that way. Yeah. It's a great story. So tell me a little bit about Bernard Goldstein. Oh, my God, yeah. Well, he was an amazing, amazing man of character. I met him a couple of times. I heard him speak a couple of times. Because when I, You know, he died in 1959, I think it is. So I was around in New York when, I, you know, when he, he came to New York around 46, I would guess, you know, after the war. Uh, so between 46 and 50, I was still at home. I was still going to high school. And then uh, I would come back in the summertime. And So anyway, I, I, I heard him speak. I met him. Uh, he was a courageous. I mean, you learn if you read the book, which is, an, I think, an incredible book. Uh, you learn to know, get to know who he was and what he was, and he was a remarkable, remarkable person. Brave, courageous, you know, physically uh, uh, and in his character, and uh, well known, extremely well known, and he was. He was not a, the, uh, an intellectual leader of the force. He was their man on the street, you might say. He was the one, oh, Bernard, there's a pogrom in so-and-so. Can you go there and take care of it? Or Bernard, we need to organize the slaughterhouse workers. So go and do it. And, and Bernard, we need a militia to protect us against these anti-Semitic hooligans and against the communists. Who were fighting with the communists. The communists were attacking the Bund all the time. We need to defend ourselves. Can you make a, organize a militia? And that's what he did, and uh, organized a self-defense Bundes militia. And it's all described in that incredible book that he wrote. Uh, it's his memoir about his activities for the Bund in Warsaw and also in Poland generally between 19. Uh, 1919 and 1939, uh, the 20 years. And how did you find your way to the work? And I gather nobody else had ever tried to do a translation of it. No. Uh, well, I mean, that's easy. I, I had the book. My parents had the book. I knew the man. I knew about him. Uh, he, had, he did write another book which was translated a long time ago, like in the, like 19, I don't know, in the 60s, uh, by uh, Shotskin. Uh, it, it's called The Stars Bear Witness. He wrote two books. The first book he wrote was about his experiences in the Warsaw Ghetto, called Fimfjord and Warsaw Ghetto, Five Years in the Warsaw Ghetto. And he described, and, and, and Shotskin translated that, and it was published by, I don't know, Macmillan, I think. Uh, so it's not like he's never been translated at all. But this other book had not been translated. And my friend Victor, who was the son of, of Galinsky, the director of the Medem Sanitarium. Do you know about the Medem mm -hmm. Sanitarium, yeah. by the way? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he kept saying, you've got to do this. You, you, you owe it to the Bund. It's your duty, and so on. <laughs> Nobody else can do it. Well, that's not true. But anyway, he uh, kept uh, urging me, and I finally decided, well, maybe I should. Why not? And then I got into it, and then I started to really like it. And uh, and then I 
I not only translated, but I felt it needed an apparatus, you know, uh, a glossary, uh, an appendix, uh, uh, the, the, the explanation of terms and of acronyms and all that kind of thing. So the and then I wanted to have pictures. Here's, here's a funny story for you. I I wanted the book to be illustrated. His book only had maybe half a dozen pictures in it, the original Yiddish book. I wanted to have a lot of pictures, and I went through all kinds of sources, and I picked out 122 pictures, photographs and illustrations and posters that I wanted to put in this book. Now, the unfortunately, all that stuff, or most of it, belongs to the evil, because the Bund had its own archive, a fantastic archive, it's, I forget how many hundreds of it is. It's an amazing archive, the Bund archive. But anyway, when the Bund gave up its office and everything, it turned all that over to the Eagle, which was unfortunate for me because if they'd been in the Bund archive, I was, could have had them for nothing. But when they went to the Eagle, now the Eagle charges something like 80, I forget what it is, I think it's 80, 85 dollars a picture if you want to use it. Well, I somehow managed to ask somebody and they talked to him and he'd given it to me for forty dollars. Well it was still too much money. I wrote there was there was a uh, fellow called uh, uh, Leo Malamud. He he was the founder of the Chicago Mercantile Association and quite uh, and became quite wealthy. His parents were Bundes from Poland. And he had a big soft spot in his heart, despite the fact he was a capitalist. And, uh, and he, uh, nevertheless, he had, but a, but a, a kind one. Uh, nevertheless, he, he had a soft spot in his heart for the Bund. And in a book he wrote, he writes about that. So I thought, well, I'm going to ask him for money. I'm going to tell him what I'm doing. And I said I need this the money for the book for the pictures in the book, and so I sent him a letter, and he sent me a check for five thousand dollars, and that was enough to pay for all those pictures, and that's how the pictures got in the book. One hundred twenty-two of them, right? Yeah. Um, so last question or so, which is, can you just kind of give our listeners a sense of how the story illustrates a time and a place? I mean, it's an amazing memoir, and very illustrative in terms of its writing. Right, right. Well, um, he was, he was the, as I said, the Bund's man on the street. So you learn about uh, street life. You learn about the various occupations, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, people who are carrying things on their back, uh, like uh, porters. Uh, slaughterhouse, he does an incredible chapter on the slaughterhouse. Slaughterhouse workers, the Poles and the Jews working side by side, sometimes getting into fights. Uh, you, you learn, oh, for example, uh, people were, you know, poor Jewish working slum dwellers would, they could, would sometimes fall behind in their rent. The landlord would have wanted to have them evicted. So the landlord would get an order, and the sheriff would come, and they'd come and they'd take all the furniture out and put it on the street. And the bund would come there after they'd gone, put the furniture back in the street, and 
then the landlord would have to go through the process again till finally he got tired of it and knew he wasn't going to win because the Bund would always come back and put the stuff back in the apartment. So finally they'd work out some compromise where the, the worker could pay a little bit and maybe when he got some work he'd pay some more, whatever. Anyhow, Bernard did that sort of thing. He was highly, he was courageous, ethical, and he was in the swim of things. He was the, the leader of the militia. He was their labor organizer. He, he, he And people, the working people, many of them came to him with their personal problems and asked him for help, and he did those. This is all described in his memoir, and you get a real feel for what life was like for the working class, the majority, the overwhelming majority of the Jewish people in Warsaw and, and in Poland generally. So made trips out of the country, out of the country. You learned about the, the Bund's uh, sporting organization, which was the largest sporting organization in Poland, Jewish or not Jewish. Uh, uh, and they went, it was a large sports, um, oh, what would you call it, in Vienna. Uh, a sports exhibition or whatever, and people came from all over the world and sent a hundred sports people. He describes that his trip to Austria, his trip to to uh, to Vienna, to and to other places. He describes how he helped fight off pogromists in various Polish towns. And uh, if you read that book, you get to understand not just the book, but Jewish life between the wars in Poland. Well, Marvin, thank you so much for taking time today to talk about it. It's a great memoir, and he was a great storyteller, and you're a great translator. So, um, again, it's great to visit with you, and the name of the book is 20 Years with the Jewish Labor Bund, a Memoir of Interwar Poland. Um, keep translating, and I hope we'll be back on the air with you again sometime soon with your next work. Thank you, Lisa. It's been a pleasure. Okay, be well. Speak soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a podcast of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. I'm Emily Densmore, assistant for the Wexler Oral History Project at the Yiddish Book Center. For more information and to subscribe, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. While you're there, I recommend listening to episode 92, Southern Jewish Life, a conversation with Macy Hart where Hart, director of the Gold Ring Woldenberg Institute for Southern Jewish Life, talks with us about the history of the Institute and the role Jews have played in Southern history and culture. Zeit gesund, be well, and tune in again soon.